the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, October 10th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. 602-508-0960 is your entryway into the show. Mr. Bill, good to see you. David Dahl, my producer, good to see you. Leave it to Professor Wilford Riley to get it just right. After the news of the pogrom in Israel started circulating and the forces of decomposition started to cheer the Hamas terrorists, defending them with such medieval justifications as Israel had it coming, Professor Riley wrote, quote, reifying failure is a good way to increase it and to serve entropy, close quote, entropy, a decline into disorder. That, for too many years, is precisely what has happened in Gaza and the West Bank, delusion, retrogression, and disorder. It's all either been ignored, defended, or endowed. To take but one easy and simple example, look at the news that Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib is displaying at the same time and in the same place. A flag of Palestine outside her congressional office alongside an LGBTQ rights flag. One quick wit tweeted, does somebody want to tell her? What did that jape mean? Only what most observers know about Gaza and the West Bank. That to publicly engage in LGBTQ activity can get you state-sanctioned prison or death there. Alternatively, Thousands of gay Palestinians have fled Gaza and the West Bank to live in Israel, where they are protected not only under law, but by a country that sponsors the largest LGBTQ parades in the world, where hundreds of thousands routinely march, legally and without sanction. All of this raises the interesting point of what is known as the red-green axis, upon which proudly sit the likes of Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar, both of whom, along with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Jamal Bauman and Cori Bush, are members in their membership with the Democratic Socialists of America. The green part of the axis supports Islamist movements, the red socialist. It is a question as to how comfortably these two colors can sit before their blend becomes so distorted as to plunge advanced enlightenment thinking and policy into a hue of thick darkness. You see, for all the defense of Iran and the Gaza West Bank rights of purported self-defense, along with attendant enunciations of American and Israeli policies, succor and commonality can be found only in one thing, opposition to civil, human, and religious rights. If progressives truly believe or believed in LGBTQ rights, or for that matter, even abortion rights, They would be denouncing places like Iran, Gaza, and the West Bank, which illegalized them. If representatives Omar Tlaib or Cortez or Bauman were to become visiting lecturers at any school in the West Bank, say, 
and try to promote their domestic policies that they promote here, along any of those lines, they would find themselves in prison or dead. That is obviously not true here and would not be true in Israel. But those are the countries they target, the ones that give them the rights they claim to stand for. Meanwhile, they cannot summon an unadulterated word of condemnation against Hamas. This may all seem inherently self-contradictory, but the legacy of Marxist-supported, religiously-inspired revolutionary movements is not new. The PLO was a creation of the Soviet Union, and the various organizations under it, from the DFLP to the PFLP, have all paid tribute to communist ideology and alignment. To understand this kind of terrorism, as we see being justified by and in support of Hamas, we need a bit of a lesson in Marxist theory. And I give you Professor Jean Kirkpatrick, quote, What we are dealing with here are new names for old acts, names as arbitrary as those conferred by Alice's Mad Queen, as dangerous as the bombs and bullets they seek to justify. Together they comprise the ideology which Palestinians cite to justify violence against Israel and to deny Israel the right to self-defense. It is an ideology that integrates the Arab nationalist struggle against Israel with the struggle against colonialism, imperialism, and racism, and in this fashion extends and exacerbates the conflict by involving countries in it that are remote from the Middle East. Anti-colonialism is meaningful to virtually all former colonies, which are thereby invited to identify the PLO's claims with their own fights for independence. The struggle against imperialism pits progressive forces against any country perceived by Marxists or quasi-Marxists as an obstacle to the socialist camp. The struggle against racism asks the world's non-white peoples, most of whose countries see themselves as part of what we used to call the third world, to join a coalition for one more battle against white exploiters. The association of each with the other reinforces the whole. It was Nikita Khrushchev who associated self-determined with self-determination with national liberation movements and endowed any movement which led a war of national liberation with a special historical role. Basing himself on Lenin's classification of legitimate and illegitimate wars, Khrushchev declared that an imperialist power fighting against a third world country was engaged in an unjust local war which violated the UN Charter's prohibition on the use of force, but wars of national liberation and popular uprisings against colonialism and imperialism were a good force, a fulfillment of the UN Charter, not a violation of it. And the United Nations throughout the 1960s adopted this philosophy and set of moral justifications for changing what common sense used to understand as terrorism into a tangled web of language that would turn such understandings and words and illegal justifications into legitimate resistance and liberation. That is why you have a PLO, liberation organization, and not a PTO, terrorist organization, after all. And do recall the PLO was founded in 1964, three years before the West Bank or Gaza were in Israeli hands and control. This is why what Hamas did and is being celebrated for is never and was never about Gaza or the West Bank. 
Not a Jew or Israeli has been in Gaza for nearly two decades. And when Gaza was controlled by Egypt and the West Bank by Jordan after 1948 at the birth of modern Israel, there were no Palestinian calls for Palestinian statehood in those regions. The claims were always for all of Israel, from Tel Aviv and Herzliya to Jerusalem and beyond. Hence the chant you hear from the river to the sea. All of the country of Israel is what provokes the terrorism and the quote-unquote liberation movements supported by Tlaib, Omar, and the rest of the socialist Marxist world. This is why Rashida Tlaib, along with the rest of the Arab world, calls Israeli Independence Day commemorating the founding of Israel in 1948, again, long before there was any control of the West Bank. They call it the Nakba, which translates to the tragedy or the disaster. Now, one may say today's Democratic Party supports none of this Marxist terrorist supporting ideology, but one would be wrong. Rashida Tlaib has had primary opponents in the Democratic Party for her seat representing Michigan, If the Democratic Party wanted no affiliation with her, it could easily encourage and support those opponents of hers in primaries. It does not. It supports her. The same is true for Ilan Omar. Indeed, Nancy Pelosi said in Rashida Tlaib's primary, quote, Representative Rashida Tlaib is a tireless advocate for the residents of Michigan's 13th Congressional District. Representative Tlaib never stops fighting for her district, which she is proud to represent. And I am proud to endorse her for re-election, close quote. That was Nancy Pelosi, a Speaker of the House. She did and said the same for Ilan Omar. This is your moderate and civil rights and human rights supporting Democratic Party, and not from the bottom-feeding terrorism-supporting Marxist janitor's closet where the dust bins should be found, but from the highest and wealthiest penthouses that have elevated all these noxious doctrines. Rashida Tlaib indeed has the flag of another nation state in front of her office. It's long past time for her supporters and her party to determine just what country and set of ideologies and principles she represents. The country that pays her and gives her office space has, after all, just seen at least 11 of its citizens slaughtered in and under the name of the flag that she puts proudly outside of her office. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-5089-60. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. The Hallmans will join me in the third hour, and it's your show from here until then. Where are we going? We're going to Dallas. We're going to Tom in Dallas. Hello, Tom. How are you? Hello, Seth. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. How about yourself? Good. Good, good. I wanted to discuss with you the uh, uh, the similarities between this coming up election in 2024 and the 1980 election. And I think you're too young to to remember that. Oh, but no. If you, oh, no, but okay. I'll take the compliment. <laughs> All right. All right. In 1980, you had a sitting president that was very unpopular. You had a Republican challenger that, unlike today... Uh, where Ronald Reagan, by most most in the press, is considered to be a hero, people that were alive back then remember that he was vilified and hated, and also hated within the Republican Party. They, they the establishment at that point settled on George Herbert Walker Bush, 
and admittedly, full disclosure, for whom I worked um, in New Hampshire, Michigan, and Ohio. Um, but you had, he, he was not popular. You also had, and this is what's I think most important. You had a third party challenger in John Anderson. And for those of your listeners that, that may not remember Anderson, Anderson was a Republican who ran in the Republican primary and grabbed off what used to be called the rip on Republicans left, left leaning or, um, less conservative Republicans uh, during the primaries. And he ended up running as, a, as an independent. And I remember the press kept on saying, like with Bobby Kennedy now, that Anderson would siphon off votes from Reagan. And basically my long-winded point is, I think that the election in 1980 is similar to to that, which is 2024, because of this third party. But the problem with the comparison is how different California, New York, Illinois, those states are are now guaranteed blue. Whereas back in 1980, you know, I think George Ufasian was the California governor. Charles Percy was a senator from Illinois, and New York had Jacob Javits. So you actually had Republican competition. And uh, I'd, I'd be very interested in, in your analysis of the third party issue and anything else, any of the other Well, stuff. you raised so yeah. many interesting points, Tom, uh, on, on 1980 and John Anderson and all the rest, even with the criticisms of Ronald Reagan. Yes, he was, I think Clark Clif- Clifford called him an amiable dunce. Uh, David Broder said something like you can't water the distance or the desert between his ears. Um, Absolutely. That was from the liberals. Uh, And you're right, too, that much of the Republican establishment had little use for him either. Um, That would be why he actually in 1976, four years prior, challenged a sitting incumbent Republican president, Gerald Ford. And didn't campaign for him. Oh, okay. All right. All right. It's interesting to note, too, that many of the conservatives we think of as being part of Fort Reagan in 1979 and early 1980 weren't even on board with Ronald Reagan. Um, That's right. uh, even, Even William Buckley at first a dear friend of Reagan's, even William Buckley at first was supporting George H.W. Bush, his old Yale, uh, his old Yale buddy. And George Will was supporting the senator from Tennessee, Howard Baker. Howard Baker. Yeah. Um, So Reagan had to do a lot of convincing. And he did because he understood that there was a third vote that was a little more important, the people. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. John Anderson. Um, yes, I remember the Anderson candidacy so well that I remember watching Anderson and Reagan debate. Carter wouldn't show yes. up for that debate, but they actually did a nationally televised debate. That's how comfortable Reagan was with himself. He was happy to debate John Anderson and did do. John Anderson got, uh, I believe, zero electoral votes, maybe five or six percent of the popular vote and didn't do very well. Robert Kennedy Jr. is a different kind of animal. And you're right, the country's a different kind of country. California was fairly reliably Republican in those days. Wasn't S.I. Hayakawa the senator at the time? 
hard to yeah, get more conservative. Yeah, I think, and yeah, hard to get, I think it was Hayakawa and Cranston, but hard to get more conservative oh, than Hayakawa. Okay. Yeah, hard to get more conservative than that. And right. then, of course, New York ushered in Al D'Amato, I think, in 1980 as well. <clears throat> in any event, Robert Kennedy brings on some different factors here. And I think the success of his independent run will not bring him the success that he wants, that is to say the White House. But it will depend on who the Republicans nominate, I think, in large part. My guess is the Republicans are nominating Donald Trump. And so how does Robert Kennedy draw votes if the race is Trump, Kennedy and Biden or Trump, Kennedy and who would be the most next logical person if Biden doesn't run? I'm thinking it's Gavin Newsom. How does Robert Kennedy fare in that kind of race? I don't know. I don't know. My guess is that, yeah, my guess is that the Republicans who have a distaste and dislike for Donald Trump will find the distaste and dislike equally available to them in the candidacy of Robert Kennedy, if not the personality. That's my guess. So I don't think Trump loses votes to Robert Kennedy. The question is, does Robert Kennedy steal votes from the Democratic Party? And he's put himself in such an interestingly awkward ideological position that I don't think very many Democrats want to support him unless there are still a lot of Democrats who are really, really angry about what Gavin Newsom types did to them during COVID, in which case they may go for Robert Kennedy. I think, in other words, I'm talking myself into saying Robert Kennedy hurts Gavin Newsom more than he hurts Donald Trump, but maybe not Joe Biden more than he hurts Donald Trump. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. uh, has things that, that appeal to Trump voters, that is, the anti-government, anti-vax, anti-First Amendment. But he also has things that that the acolytes of Anti-Second Amendment, uh, yes, yes, anti-life, yes, yes. Anti-life, and so he appeals to both. So I can see certain people... Being a, uh, having an appeal for Bobby Kennedy, but I just don't see him abandoning. I don't see um, middle class, middle of the road voters find him interesting. Also, the press hasn't taken him to, to task, and they will destroy. They, they, him yes, over he, his is, he is. He has given them a forest to mow down. He has given yeah, them his, a forest. His, yeah. His, yeah. He's not going to appeal to suburban women because he's, his marriage history is a mess. Well, I don't – yeah, I, maybe people have come to terms with that issue in and of itself. I don't know. I'm not too terribly worried about that so much as maybe we would have been 20 years ago. Good call, Tom. I'm open to other analyses. Thank you, sir. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. Good website, lots of information, great way to reach out to him. And he brings us our culture and economy update. How are you today, John? 
Um, well, thank you, Seth. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. I'm hanging Good. in there is probably the better answer. But yes. uh, I, I don't know if everyone's doing okay, if anyone's doing okay, actually, these days. Well, there's a lot going on. You're always uh, no optimistic, and I love that about you, though. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about T-rates, treasury rates, and stock prices. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's the kind of an opposite effect there, right? So if you see higher yields in uh, treasury bonds, as an example, oftentimes people will place money in those, right, because they're getting a decent rate of return for fairly safe money. Um, so you may see stock prices fall. So there's, there's there's a definite relationship there between the two. Uh, and we saw today a perfect example uh, where the yields uh, fell from their, you know, yesterday's high, and uh, we saw stock prices go higher today. So it, it's an interesting dynamic uh, and, and this is on a much larger scale. It's not the average investor out there, Seth, that really may benefit from this. It's, it's these large, you know, firms that are moving, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that really can benefit, uh, you know, day by day. Uh, but the average investor out there, when we see uh, a move today, it, it primarily was because we saw uh, oil prices falling as well as uh, yields on treasury bonds today. Yeah. Now, tell me, yeah, that that was an interesting headline I saw in the Wall Street Journal I was just looking at a little while ago. Higher bond yields likely to extend Fed rate pause. That that goes into this too, right? That that does, right. Because, again, I think with with all the um, news that's coming out, we've got the, uh, the producer's price index, I believe, coming out tomorrow, and mm-hmm. then the uh, CPI, the consumer price index, coming out on Thursday again. Uh, and that's, again, a great inflation uh, data tool that we can use to see, you know, how inflation is is progressing. Is it, uh, uh, you know, continuing to rise, or are we going to see a fall uh, in the inflation numbers? Uh, and that's going to give us a good indication again. And, and I think we're still starting to see that lagging effect, and many believe that the Fed has done enough. Uh, there's two sides, obviously, out there. Some think the Fed needs to continue to tighten, whereas others believe the Fed has done enough, and we need to kind of pause and see what the lagging effect will be. Uh, but one of the interesting uh, things we did see today also is is there's an index of small cap stocks. The Russell 2000 is a is an index that that uh, follows small companies, and uh, we did see even these smaller companies uh, have a nice rally today, and and that's a positive because a lot of times these smaller companies are less capitalized than the bigger companies, mm-hmm. and uh, we find that they struggle during these high interest rate environments. And uh, so it was a really good day for them. And so that maybe is a little bit of an indication that uh, many believe that we're coming to the end of where the Fed will be uh, raising rates again or possibly tightening further. Something that's kind of interesting also in the headlines here and up your alley, uh, really testifying to the kind of work you actually do on a day-to-day basis. I don't know if you saw this. The U.S. economy's secret weapon, seniors with money to spend. Americans mm-hmm. 65 and older account for a record share of spending. Well, you know, I, and they, I see Oh, this, and the yeah. next part, which is so interesting, and they are less susceptible to interest rates. Yeah. And, and the reason being because they've, they've gone through their career working, right? They've saved enough, and they're hopefully living within their means. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, good financial planning gets someone into a comfortable retirement. Uh, and oftentimes at that point, you're right, these fluctuations in interest rates aren't necessarily – uh, going to affect them as much unless, uh, you know, they are very uh, heavily weighted in, uh, in this case, if they were heavily weighted in bonds, which they 
uh, were trying to receive income from, just like some of the banks that were uh, invested in these longer-term bonds. And when rates went up over the last couple of years, obviously that hurt the banks. As we know, a couple of banks had some very difficult financial issues and actually failed. Um, and so that could affect some of the retirees if they held a, a very large amount of bonds, which uh, were longer-duration bonds at lower, lower rates. But uh, again, if you hold those bonds to maturity, you're yep. okay. Yeah, you know. So uh, you're right. And seniors are, are spending money because they want to enjoy their retirement. And I'm hearing that more and more from people who I'm dealing with on a regular basis. As we're getting them close to retirement, or if they're already in retirement, uh, they're planning those vacations still. They're spending the money, and uh, they're they're happy with their life the way it is right now. They are paying more for things, but they can afford it just as that article says you know they're they're the you know that that part of the market that maybe no one's really paying much attention to john fantastic thank you sir you bet and if uh, folks need help with their planning to get them into that retirement well we're that's what we do for clients gotcha. every day so gotcha. go to our website grandcanyonplanning.com request an appointment there securities and advisory services off the creative one securities llc a member of finman Sipic and an investment advisor grand canyon planning associates llc and creative one securities llc are not affiliated well Thank done, you, John. Thank you. You bet. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602 Where am I going to next? Dan and Chandler. Hello, Dan. Hi. Long time no talk. <laughs> nice to hear from you, sir. Okay, I'll uh, comment on the uh, RFK Jr. thing in just a moment, but I tell you, while I was waiting, I was listening to Salem News, and I think they erroneously reported that no news organization has shown that Iran had anything to do with the uh, terrible attacks on Wall Street Journal sure did. And so did the Washington Post. So, Really, I don't know where they get that kind of thing from. I just don't know. Okay. Anyway, hopefully you'll say something. I, I, yeah, I didn't hear it. I apologize. I'll, I'll try and do, try and dredge it up or drag, get it somehow. Salem of all places, right? Anyway, um, I wouldn't worry about RFK Jr. I think he's only interesting. He's not consequential. <laughs> and... Dennis Prager had a really good, intensive fireside chat with him. I watched the whole thing. Yeah. Well, if you watch that, then you know this guy. And, um, you know, um, he's against nuclear power. He believes in global warming and everything that goes with it. Um, So, and, and, and here's the thing. I mean, he might be an interesting armchair philosopher, might make a good uh, talk show guest because uh, he's willing to uh, spill a lot of dirt on people like Barack Obama. But what qualifies him to be president? What has he done? Well, you're right. And if you are a conservative uh, or a Republican and you believe in any of what you just said, or for that matter, the Second Amendment, or for that matter, the life agenda. He is not your friend. He happens to be... This is a pet peeve of my friend, Mr. Bill, who works with us. And I won't say it as articulately as he once put it. We were in the kitchen. Bill, can you hear me? Come in and fix this if I misattribute it to you. But you were saying something about 
a pet peeve over too much of our movement that immediately stampedes to embrace any given person who says one conservative thing one time or one conservative thing for a little while, something like that. And I fear that that has happened with too many of us in the case of RFK Jr. Uh, By no stretch does this man embrace anything like a Republican or conservative agenda. He might be somewhat of of a liberal from yesteryear or a Democrat of yesteryear. He might be. Um, The only thing he kind of does or says that I think in any way can be considered conservative, and to me it's unfortunate that it's deemed conservative, was that he was against the shutdowns and the lockdowns of schools and businesses during COVID. That's really the, uh, what, what, what other than that of his am I missing? Um, he's been very ardently supportive of Israel. That, unfortunately, shouldn't be a conservative thing either. I suppose it is, given today's Democratic Party. But what other thing am I missing here, Dan? What about him shows anything like conservatism or, as you say, the ability to run the vast machinery that is the federal government? Um, Nothing is the answer. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, he's really not, nothing. He's not Trump or Biden. I, I, I suppose, I suppose. But, you know, there's other people who aren't Trump or Biden either. Cornell West isn't That's Trump true. or Biden. Uh, right, I don't know right. who's going to be put forward by this. What's this weird other party you keep looking at, David, called the No Labels Party? Who, whoever they're going to put up isn't Trump or Biden either. Um, and with Trump or Biden, you have two people experienced... And with resumes um, who have each shown what they can do with four years in the presidency. One can maintain peace in the world and increase economic prosperity across all ethnic and gender groups. And one can plunge us into something that looks like 19, like Jimmy Carter deserves the, the Nobel Prize in economics. Indeed. Yeah. I just wouldn't I just wouldn't worry about him. I don't think he's gonna be that popular with anybody. Yeah. And Frank and, and, and uh, this is probably the least intellectual thing I've ever said in the realm of politics, but and I know it's not his fault, but I find his voice unbearable. I know it's a medical condition, there's nothing he can do about it, and it's not a reflection of his intellect or anything like that. But you know, being the president of the United States means being a public speaker and you can't presume to be a public speaker if your your vocal cords are so damaged that it's painful to listen to you he did something recently i think he may have had some surgery that has improved the situation somewhat i noticed that in his talk with prager it was much better than it used to be um and listen um I will take his voice seven days a week over the voice of Joe Biden, who can't complete a sentence or pronounce a I'm word with, you on that. with perfect you, vocal uh, cords. Absolutely. You know, Joe Biden absolutely. has perfect vocal cords and can't 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 articulate most of the words in any given sentence. 
I'll I'll Good take call. I'll take listening to Robert Kennedy over that any day. But your your larger point is probably right, Dan. He's he's staked out such an oddly unique set of ideas. It's nothing that could be really called a world view because there's no theme to the pudding, really. Not one I can discern. There's no real ideological theme to the pudding except his wanting to be and his willingness to be what we used to just call an iconoclast, someone who just wants to doubt the regular wisdom, just someone who wants to kind of be a contrarian. Um, right. He's very knowledgeable. You know, if you go back, that, that is refreshing to give him his due. The way he could handle that conversation with Dennis, I've seen him with a few others, maybe Bill Maher. Um, mm-hmm. I think maybe he did an hour and a half with Bill Maher on that, that podcast that Bill Maher does. What's it called? Something Room or Something Lounge? I can't remember it, but whatever it is. Um, he can hold forth on almost any issue you throw at him. He's very well read. Yeah. But there's no theme to the pudding, and it would be erratic to say the least. I also think it's very odd for someone with no true executive experience to run for the most important executive office in the land. Well, we've been taught that several times over, haven't we? We've been taught that one several times over. Well, thank uh, you, Dan. I appreciate it, sir. Don't be a stranger. All right, thanks. All right, God bless. Portions of the show are brought to you by our friends at Y-Refi. Y-Refi is based here, headquartered here locally. You can visit them. They're up in North Scottsdale. Happy to see you. You won't get a sales pitch or be asked to sign a thing. What they have is an investment in a portfolio, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. And there's no penalty if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio offered up by Y-Refi, which is a due diligence approved firm. And you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. Rick is in Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Hello there, Seth. I hope you're having a terrific Tuesday. Thank you, sir. You too. I've, I've got some news and a question. Okay. Uh, the news, have you heard about Riley Gaines' uh, proposed uh, day for today? No. Uh, you, you know, Riley Gaines is the uh, yeah, sure, sure. swimmer sure. that was deposed, or whatever you want to call it, by a trans man. Sure. Uh, and she has proposed that today, October 10th, be designated as Real Women's Day. Okay. Real Woman's Day. Okay. Because it's... October, the 10th month, and the 10th day, X, so that's XX, for a real woman's chromosomes. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. As opposed to XY. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, I'm hoping that it'll get some traction, and uh, she, she's got a post about it on her Twitter, uh, 
And, you know, I think it's a great idea. We got a day for everything else, so Real Woman's Day seems like an appropriate uh, thing to me. Yes, sir. (laughs) So um, I wanted to uh, let you know about that. The other thing is, uh, when uh, uh, is Lewis Holman going to be there today? Yes, he and his daddy, you bet. Do you know, or would you ask him, I think a week or two ago or at some point, he talked about a language um, designation whereby uh, it's, uh, you know, I got fired, you got canned, uh, he was let go. Do you remember him talking about something like that? It's, in other words, it's a way of describing things that imparts to someone else uh, kind more of a bur- serious kind of, kind of a burden a shifting, if you will, like a burden shifting, a foisting of responsibility. I'll see if I can run it by him. And uh, if not, we'll, uh, <coughs> if I don't get a chance to run it by him, I'll email him on it. Sounds like the kind of thing I'd like to hear more about. Thanks, Rick. 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 